Open your Bibles for me to John chapter 4. Several weeks ago now, last week, we did a special message on not being weary and well-doing. If you weren't out here, I encourage you to either get the CD or go online and you can find the through podcasts. It's amazing the, the, the technology that we have today and we have no excuse for not having the Word of God or in us and around us all the time. And then week before, Pastor Ray filled in while we were away, and then the week before that, Brother Christopher Lam was here. And the week before that, we began a series which we're calling True Worship because it's part of where I believe God is calling this church to go, part of it. And it's a change in direction in one sense. And to do that requires preparation, it requires uh, understanding, it requires God's guiding and leading us. And we'll talk a little more specifically about that later on. But the theme of where we're going and what this is about is in John chapter 4. There's so much in here, I've got to be very careful. But I'm just going to start at the beginning. The Lord, when the Lord, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But to get to Judea from Galilee, he had to go through Samaria. He came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground which Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied of his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give, have given you living water. Now, we'll look later on, but he's wetting her appetite. He's wetting her appetite and thirst for something, some place he wants to take her. He wants to draw her somewhere, and to get her to go somewhere, he's got to touch her desire. See, if you don't have a desire for the things of God, you can make yourself do the things that are right, but you're gonna, it's going to be dead works to you. And most of us have come out of churches that that's what it was all about. These are the rules. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. And we did them because we were good doobies, but it was dead inside of us. Talking to somebody at the 99, I was, he was talking about just church in general. I said, but that's not what real church is. See, we, have, we, we come here and spend two hours in church on a Sunday morning and people that haven't experienced what you experience wonder what's wrong with you I mean there are other places you can go and get in and out in 20 minutes you know get your stamp of approval you did what you were supposed to do and out but we don't come to get approval we don't come here and do what we do here and come for the time we come over and over and over again and then on Wednesday night also we don't do that to fulfill some obligation because you can do that somewhere else in 20 minutes. We come because there's something else that touches us that we have a desire, a thirst, a hunger for that we believe is, will be satisfied if we come not just to this place but other places that preach the Word of God and where the Spirit of God's presence is. So we come because we're hungry. We come because we're thirsty. And Jesus is, wants to draw her by touching something in her heart, a desire, a need that she has. Not, he starts at a physical need, but he's calling her up to a spiritual need that she doesn't even know she has. And that's what this series is about. It's to touch something in your heart, touch something in my heart, so that God will touch us with a thirst, a hunger for something. Because once that begins to grow in us, we'll, we'll come after Him instead of Him having to come after us. 
And so we've got, that's what this is all about. This is the bottom line. This is what God wants to do, at least in this part of this series. All right, let's go on. The woman said in verse 11, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank it from him himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him shall become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. We'll talk later on. That's not just living forever. That's a quality of life. It's another level of life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst. Ah, it's touching her heart. And he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. We'll talk later on about why he looks like he's changing the subject because he's really not. The woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. He said that you've said well because you, that you have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband in that you tro- spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you, you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place to worship, but where we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me that the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. So it's not the place where you worship. You worship what you do not know. That's the Samaritans. We, the Jews, we worship for salvation. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. And here's what we're looking at. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I saw something in here in all the years I've read my Bible, read this, taught this. I saw something I don't know that I'd ever seen before. I've been talking about and thinking in terms of true worship, which implies that there's a type of worship that's not true. And that's not what he's saying. He's not talking about the worship. He's talking about the worshiper. Notice what it says. An hour is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. He's not talking about the style of worship, because there are many different styles of worship. So we can't sit here and say, our style of worship is right, and this style of worship is wrong. Because you can go into lots of churches, and they have very different styles of worship, and some of it's true worship, we can just show, well, I don't, I don't get anything out of that, so that must not be true. Well, be careful of judging what's true and right by your experience. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. I come home, turn the temperature down because it's hot. She goes by the thermostat and turns the temperature up because it's cold. The temperature is the same temperature for her and for me. So what's cold to me or cold to her, and warm to me, could be, is the exact same temperature. And husbands and wives get into disagreement. That's why we have dual electric blankets. Because her idea of warm and my idea of warm are completely different, but it's the same temperature we're talking about. Everybody that's married understands what I'm talking about here. All right. Now, that doesn't mean she's wrong and I'm right, or I'm right and she's wrong, the other way around. 
It's just my experience of it is different than hers. So I can't be Adam and say, it's hot in here. No, it's hot to me. Okay, well then it's whatever, whatever you like is what's right. And what he's talking about here is not how we worship, but the worshiper himself. What the Father's longing for are true worshipers. The word true there is the Greek word aletheia, which talked a little bit about that on Wednesday night when he talked about the pro- we talked about the process of change. It's the word for truth. It's the primary Greek word for truth, which literally means at its root, and its basic meaning, having nothing hidden. No, no, uh, no secret agenda, no false image being presented, no false impression, no false motive, just wide open. The greatest example I can give of that, and we've talked about this a lot, is the last verse of Genesis chapter 2. And when we talked several weeks ago about worship, we went back to Genesis 2. And we saw in there that at the end of that chapter, having been in the presence of God, true worshipers, because worship isn't just singing and music. Worship is an expression out of your heart of his greater worth than yours, and it can only come as a response to seeing who he is. We'll learn that down the road. You can choose to praise. You can choose to be thankful. But it, when you true worship is a response to seeing who he is. So that's initiated by him and responded to by us. And so it's not just singing It's an attitude of our heart expressed towards Him in singing, in the way we live our lives. But what we saw in Genesis chapter 2 is they started out in His presence. They started out as true worshipers. And at the end of that verse, the indication of it is they had nothing hidden before Him. They weren't trying to hide anything. They weren't trying to present some good image of themselves. They were not to make, trying to impress God with how good they sang or how wonderful they were. They were not even aware of themselves. And when you're in true worship, you're not aware of yourself. Just as when you're in the presence of God, you lose all concept of time because you're not conscious of this realm. Because time only exists in this realm. It doesn't exist in the spirit realm. So when you're worshiping in spirit and in truth, you have no concept of time because you're not aware of this realm. You're so in tune with that realm. So what he's talking about here is what the Father's longing for are people who are sincere, true worshipers. They have no other agenda, no other motive, nothing else, but they want to see him as he is. And this can be very subtle because we can all get different things out of our experience of worship. Because you can get side benefits. We come about feeling better, feeling encouraged. But if we're coming to worship Him for what we're going to come out of it with, then we're not worshiping Him. And that's a subtle thing, and we'll get to that. But notice the whole point here is that He longs for this. This isn't our idea. It's not a part of the church program and bulletin and schedule. The church we used to go to years ago, you came in and up on the side they had a, 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 a plaque that had the three or four numbers up there. Some of you are going, yes, you know what I'm talking about. And those were the numbers in the hymnal for the songs you were going to sing that day. And you were given a bulletin that had an order of service. Then after a while you didn't need it because you knew what it was. See, we've been delivered from that. We don't put the numbers of the songs up there 
So we don't have a ritual. We don't have an agenda, do we? Oh, yes, we do. If we came in here this morning and we started out by singing to God be the glory and then I gave an altar call and then I preached the message and then we dismissed the children, Some, most of us will go, what's going on here? Something's wrong here. We've got it out of order because we've done the same routine over and over again so much we have an order established in our minds so much so that if the music doesn't come on, the kids already get up and leave because they know it's time to leave and go to class. And there's nothing wrong with order until that order restricts what God wants to do. Until we become locked into the order and as a result of that order, we, we box God out. Because what, we're want, what God's calling us to, and He's calling us, We don't get there overnight. He's calling us to something, to come to a level where we come to church not just for what we get out of it, but for what we can give to Him. And the more you become aware of who He really is, and the more you become aware of how involved in your life He is, even to the point where I know you hear it, but it becomes a reality to you that every breath you breathe is a gift from Him. Every beat of your heart Every moment your blood flows through your veins and through your arteries is a gift from Him. It comes by the empowerment of the life that He breathed into you in the beginning. We become aware of how in Him, we, when the Bible says in Acts, in Him we live and move and have our being, how literal that is. We begin to respond to Him. We begin to come for what He is and who He is and what He's done for us. And that's when things begin to happen. Because I'm telling you, God wants to show Himself. God wants to demonstrate Himself. God wants to reveal Himself in tangible ways, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. But God, we can't, He can't just show up and do that. We have to create the atmosphere in which, not that He's welcome, that we're open to it. That we're open to it. So that's what we began to talk about. But what I wanted you to see to begin with, what God wants to see, is this is His idea. He longs for this. He longs for you to worship Him. Now think about that a second. Who He is. It's God we're talking about. I'm not talking about your boss. Imagine, and I, I don't know who your boss is like and what relation, but imagine you had a wonderful job, you had a great boss, you know, just, and, you know, and, but, and you never got to talk to him very much, but boy, he's so respected, the president and CEO of your company. You get an invitation one day says, I'd like you to come to my house. I want to spend some time with you. Wow. Go to work the next day. He says, what are you guys doing this weekend? Guess what I'm doing? Guess what I'm doing Saturday afternoon? Just ask me. I'm going to a cookout. Yeah, where are you? Where? The boss. Wow. Now, some of you may not want to go to your boss's cookout. (laughs) But we're we're talking about the ultimate boss here. We're talking about God, the creator of everything, longs for you and longs for this body of believers that he has called together for this purpose. He longs for us to have an experience with him. It's wonderful to do it by faith, and we have to learn to do it by faith. But there's something that happens when it's not just by faith, but when it's by an experience. 
And God longs to have that experience of intimacy, not just with you personally, but with us together as a congregation. In fact, I would suggest to you, it's not just that he longs to do it for the experience, that there are lives out there and souls out there whose future depends on what happens in here. Because what happens in here affects what happens out there. Turn with me to Genesis 19. and We had uh, Exodus 19, I'm sorry. Exodus 19. And we had looked at this briefly before when we started this. We're going to go back into this. Because this is the story of Israel coming out of Egypt. Now, we're reading this. This is kind of an historical account. And that's wonderful. But as we read through this, recognize that this also represents us. Because the Bible is also not just a story in the Old Testament, but they're what are called types and shadows. A type or a shadow, don't get hung up on the word shadow, is an indication of something, of a spiritual truth. So there's spiritual truths that are hard for us to get our mind wrapped around. So God takes real life experiences and says, that's a sample of what I mean by that. I mean, what is a shadow? You have heard the expression, the shadow of a dog never bit anybody? No, but it gives you a good idea there's a dog there. So it may not bite you, but it gives you an idea you better look for the dog because the shadow not only tells you there's a dog there, it tells you something about the dog. If the shadow's got little legs like this, you know, little floppy ears, that's one thing. But if the shadow's got long legs, a big teeth sticking out of it, you know it's a different, you know it's a different type of dog. You know something about the dog. So the shadow's not the thing itself, but it comes by light being sh- shown on the thing itself, and that light passing through the thing casts a shadow which gives you some idea of what the thing is that the truth. Well, there's spiritual truths that our minds are just not capable of grasping because we live in a world that is so natural, so sense-oriented, that God uses things in our senses to begin to give us some idea of some spiritual truth to be open so that His Spirit can begin to show it to us. That's what a shadow is or a type in the Old Testament. And one of them is Israel coming out of Egypt. Because Israel coming out of Egypt, of course, was coming out of the dominion and out of the, 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 the slavery that there was theirs in Egypt. Because Pharaoh was the most powerful ruler in the world at that time. But it also represents our journey, your journey personally and my journey, as we came out of the world. Because Egypt represents the world to Israel. And Israel was God's chosen people, but they were in bondage to the God of this world at that time. And when they cried out to God, God sent a deliverer, Moses, to lead them out of that bondage into a land that God had promised to them. And that's the story of our journey. When God found you, He found you in bondage to the God of this world. And when you responded by crying out to be delivered, He had a deliverer already prepared for you, Jesus Christ. And through Him... He's delivered you out of Egypt and he's bringing you into a promised land. Now, the promised land is not heaven as some people in some churches believe because if you study the promised land in the book of Exodus, you find out there were giants, there were enemies there, there were obstacles there. I suggest to you that they're not enemies in heaven. 
The promised land represents your complete freedom. The promised land lets your complete victory in this earth. Your promised land represents walking in all that God has called for you and provided for you and, and really coming into the fullness of Christ. Between Egypt and the promised land, there was a wilderness. And the Bible says at one point that God could have taken them from Egypt into the promised land in about two weeks because there was a short route there. But the Bible says God said, I can't take them that way because I know them. See, God knows you. God knows this church. He knows how to get this church from one place to where he wants to get it. If we'll follow him and not get distracted. And he says, I know this people. There's a short, easy route. The problem is between Egypt and the promised land on that route, they've got to go through the land of the Canaanites and the Philistines. And when they see them, they'll panic and they'll run back and I won't be able to get them where I want to get them. God knows you enough to know what you can handle and what you can't handle. So he had to take them by a route that was longer and had challenges in it. And part of that process was for them to grow and mature so that they would be prepared when they got to the entrance of the promised land to enter into it. And unfortunately, the story of this first generation is they didn't learn the lessons in the wilderness that they needed to learn so when it came time to enter the promised land, they turned back. God didn't reject them. They turned back from what God had offered them. God is offering something to us. God is offering something to us as a congregation. God is offering things to us individually. And just because he offers it doesn't mean we will automatically accept it. Why would people not accept what God's offered them? Because in order to receive what God's offering, we often have to mature through things. We have to grow in faith. Because in order to receive what God has for you, whether it's a physical thing in your body or whether it's an experience with Him in worship, it's all, everything from God is received by faith. And the things that we go through in life, God may not bring the things into our life, but he wants to use them so that we'll learn to trust him and walk by faith and not by sight. Because what happened is when they got to the promised land and they went in and checked it out, they saw reasons why they couldn't occupy it. They saw those things with their senses, and yet God has said, I've given it to you. And because they'd not grown in faith in the process that God took them through, because they did not learn the lessons that God had them to learn, when they got to that place and they were more moved by what they saw with their eyes than by faith in what God had told them that He would do for them. This is why we talked about this last week. This is why the Bible says in 1 Peter, I think it was 2 Peter chapter 1, it says the trying of your faith, the testing of your faith is more precious than gold. Why? Because it's preparing you for something. It's preparing you for something. So God is leading us and leading you in your life and leading us as a congregation from where we've been, where we are, to where he wants to take us. But it's a process as he leads us and guides us. And in order to get there, we have to be willing to trust him, which means we may have to let go of things we're used to in order to embrace what's to come.
That's what we're talking about on Wednesday night, the subject of the attitude of change. If you weren't here Wednesday night, you need to get a hold of it because God wants to bring change into your life, but if you're not prepared for change, most likely you won't. And God wanted to bring change to Israel. But as they got out of Egypt and they got out, into the, out of the discomfort of the pressure and they got out of this training period of the, of, of the wilderness, what happened is they began to long for what they used to have in the world. I mean in Egypt, but for us it's the world. They wanted to hold on to the things that God was requiring to let go of in order to have what God was giving to them. In order to let go of what you're used to and comfortable with you, and to receive what God's promised you, you have to be willing to do it by faith because what you're used to, what you're experiencing, your senses feel, your eyes see, your hands touch, you're experiencing every day. You don't need faith for that. What you need faith for is to let go of what you know to receive what God's promised that you can't see yet. And the lesson of, e- of Israel is that the first generation wouldn't do that, even though God longed for them in the promised land, even though God was calling them and drawing them and wooing them, that first generation walked through the testing process, but because they didn't learn the lessons to trust God and walk by what He was saying, not by what they were used to, not by what was comfortable, not by what they liked, but they learned to trust Him and obey Him, they were not able to enter into the place God had called them to. And so He had to take the next generation that did not have that background, that had known God every day, feeding them and providing for them. It took that generation, the younger generation. Now hear me, young people. We talked back back in March or whatever it was, about why you're in here on Sunday and why you're not down in your own class because, God, we need you. This congregation needs you. You may not be able to see it right now, but you have a way of looking at things that as we get older, it gets more difficult for us. You have a way of seeing things right and wrong. Why can't that happen now? Once you catch a hold of the Word of God, you want to do it now. You want to see it work now. And we've learned how to say, well, you know, you've got to be patient. You got, you know, wait till they get older. But we need that from you. God took the younger generation it took that younger generation to get into that land. It took the older generation to come out, but it took the younger generation to go into that promised land because they would trust God. Where the older generation would say, well, they had excuses for why they couldn't do what God called them to do. The younger generation just saw what God said and said, well, go do it because God said so. And so that's what this process is about. So here's, that's the background here. I didn't mean to spend, well, we're going to spend the time because this is foundation for where we're going. This story is in here for our benefit. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, the story is in here as an example to us. It's not just an historical account. This is an incredibly powerful story of what happened and it's in here for a lesson for us. All right, Genesis 19. The third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, They came to the wilderness of Sinai, 
for they had departed from Rephidim and come into the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. That's Mount Sinai. And Moses went up to God. What you're going to see here is a process of going in and out of the presence of God. Moses went up to God and the Lord called him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Israel, Tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, apply that to us. You've seen how he saved you. And we've, I've shared this before. I think I shared it last week. If we took the time this morning to go through this room and get a story of how each of you was brought to Christ, I guarantee you, you're going to have a different story for each different person because he knew you. He knew how to reach you. He knew who to bring across your path. He knew who to have pray for you. He knew what TV show to watch. He knew what books. This is what happened to me. He knew what books to bring across my path. There was one book that came across my path three times in one bookstore. I couldn't get away from it. I looked in the religion section. It was there. I said, ah, it costs $3. I don't want to spend $3 for that book. I went another place. There's a pile of them on the floor. Same book. I said, nah, no. I went to the, I went to the checkout with the books I wanted it. There they were again. I said, well, wait a minute. Oh, the book was two dollars. The good thing it wasn't three. I probably wouldn't have bought it. <laughs> but see, God met me where I was. He knew. Uh, you know. You know. You know. Anyway, I won't go there. So I bought the book, and it opened me to the Holy Spirit. I didn't know who the Holy Spirit was. There's a different story for each one of us in this room. So He's saying to Moses, "Remind the people where they were, and how I brought them on eagles' wings here. I carried them there." You understand none of you are here today. None of you are here in the body of Christ. None of you are here this morning. None of you are alive in Christ today because of how strong you were, how smart you were, how spiritual you were, how wise you were, how anything you were. We're all here because He carried us. He carried us. He's carried us on eagles' wings. He's lifted us up through the storm. Eagles rise high through storms. He's carried us on eagles' wings. He said, remind them to go back of what I've done for them in the past. Okay. This is all preparing them for something. Verse 5. And I brought you... Look at that. He says in verse 4, he says, I brought you on eagle wings, and I brought you to myself. See, God, in their eyes, he brought them out of Egypt. In God's eyes, he brought them to him. God's goal was not to get them out of Egypt. God's goal was to bring them to himself, not into his family, not into his teaching, not into his house, to bring them personally to him. And that's why God brought you out of the world. And if you've not come out of the world, that's why he's drawing you today out of the world. God's drawing you out of where you've been. Why? To bring you to him. Not to be a Christian, not to belong to the Christian church, not to belong to Faith Christian Center, but He's drawing you personally to Him. And, but He draws congregations. He's drawing this congregation to Him. Yes, He wants us to do things for Him. Yes, He wants us to perform services for Him. But the first thing He wants is to draw us to Him. Jesus said in John 15, unless you abide in me and I abide in you, you can't do anything. That's Jesus saying you've got to come to me. 
So even back in Exodus, God's drawing them out of Egypt, drew you and me out of the world to draw us to Him. All right. Therefore, verse 5, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. God does have favorites. He's not partial, but He has favorites. He has His people. Now, the good news is you can be one of His people. It's not an exclusive club. He's the creator. Look at what He says. You shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. A priest is someone that has access to God, that worships God. And a holy nation. We talked about that word holy. That means belonging to Him specially. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and laid before them these words which the Lord had commanded them. And the people answered and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And I believe they were sincere. They weren't lying. But they just said, they, they had confidence in themselves. They had confidence in their intentions. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come down to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the word of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. That's preparation. We'll talk about that on the road because it takes preparation for true worship. The Lord said to Moses, Go and consecrate them that day tomorrow. Okay, verse 11. And let them be ready for on the third day, for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then he says, you'll set boundaries around them so that they don't come up on the mountain. Because if they come up on the mountain, they'll die. We'll talk about that a little later on. Why? So Moses went down, verse 14, from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people. They washed their clothes and said to the people, be ready on the third day. Do not come near your wives. Then it shall come to pass on the third day in the morning... Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. So they get up in the morning, the mountain looks like it did yesterday. And now a cloud begins to descend on the mountain. And there's thunderings and there's rumblings. We had some of those go through here last night. But not like this must have been. So the people were in the camp trembled. They were afraid. Verse 17, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and stood at the foot of the mountain. I shared with you several weeks ago when we began this, this study that what I, that's the verse God gave me. That God is calling us out of where we are, not just our lives, but out of the way we've done things, out of the rituals we've had, out of our own experiences, which are all different kinds of level, out of our own motive. He's calling us to Himself so that He can be with us. And that's to become our motive for coming here. That's to become our motive for what we do here. I know we have all different kinds of motives. We come, we like the music, we don't like the music, we like, you know, well, this morning was a little more youth-oriented, I'm not sure it's my style. That's fine, but that's not why we're coming. See, when I'm coming to worship Him, the style doesn't get in my way. The beat doesn't get in my way. The, the things don't get in my way. When those things are getting in my way, my eyes aren't on Him. They're on the music and how I react to that. Instead of on God and how His response responding to that. 
I've told you this story before, but I think it's appropriate here. I remember when we were in Bible school, we were part of what, the kind of groups we have, like connect groups our church had. And we were standing in, the, in that group that night, and, and the leader was leading. We were singing songs to God, and, you know, and, 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 and the lady next to us, well, how can I put this? Um, not only was she not on key, I'm not sure you knew what a key was. It was noise to me. It was just off, it was, it was off key. And, and she wasn't shy. She was belting it out. And we're standing there trying to be, you know, and I'm singing, you know, and, and not that I'm that great singer either, but I could tell it's off, way off. And it's, it's really grating at me, and I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, God, what noise that is. Oh, my goodness. Let's get this over with. And I heard God speak to me as clearly as I've ever heard him in my life. He said, son, let me tell you what I hear. He said, it's sweet music to my ears. He says, because I'm not hearing the sound. I'm hearing her heart. And her heart desires me, and she loves me, and she's expressing her love for me. It's sweet to me. Now let me tell you how I hear you. I hear the judgment in your heart. I hear the, 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 the pride in your heart. I hear the thinking you know better than she does in your heart. That's what I hear in your heart, and it's a stench in my nostrils. See, God's not looking at the outside. He's looking at the heart. You understand God's not impressed with your voice or my voice. He's not impressed with our choir or not having a choir. He, I mean, the biggest, best choir in the world, he's not impressed with that. In fact, you know, there's nothing here that impresses God. He's not looking for things that impress him. He's looking for a desire of his heart to be satisfied. And that's what it's about. True worshipers. True worshipers. True worshipers. All right. Let's follow along. We'll get there. All right. Now, Mount Sinai, verse 18, was completely covered in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And God warns Moses to go down again and set boundaries for them. He goes down and does that. And then in verse 25, Moses went up, came, went down to the people and spoke to them the instructions that God had given them. Now chapter 20, the instructions that God gave to him are what we call the Ten Commandments. And you'll find those in this chapter. Now let's go over to verse 18 because this is their response to what they saw. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled. And look what they did. They stood far off. Now remember back when we looked in Genesis several weeks ago and we've studied it before? In Genesis 1 and 2, we get this picture of that first man and woman walking in the presence of God. Not afraid of Him, but in awesome respect for who He is, but not afraid of him. Then we saw in chapter 3, once they fell into sin and their eyes were on themselves and what they had done, the first thing they did was they were afraid 
The next thing they did is they hid. And the third thing they did is they covered themselves to cover up their own nakedness. It is the fear and the hiding and the covering of ourselves that keeps us from the presence of God. Shame and fear and trusting in our own efforts to make ourselves look good on the outside that keep us from entering back into the presence of God. Because you're going to see a picture here of the same mountaintop, the same thunder, the same lightning, the same booming voice, and one man's drawn into it, and the rest of them run away from it. Same sound, same presence. This talks about both of them fearing him, but it's a different fear. The fear Moses had was an awesome reverence for the revelation of who he is. Their fear was they were afraid of him because they saw who he was and were aware of who they were. And so they ran away from him instead of to him. From a God who was calling them to him, they were afraid and ran away. All right. So there's a process going on here, which we may not get to finish today, but we'll get into it. All right, let's go. Now what happens? Let's go verse 18. 2018. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood far off. Now here, God's telling Moses, now go down and put barriers around so they don't come running up on the mountain to see me. He puts barriers down there. Instead of having the problem of them running up on the mountain, they're running away. They're going back into the camp, back into their houses. Verse 19, and then they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll hear, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, don't fear, God has come down to test you that you might fear, that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. And it gets a little confusing if you don't understand this difference. They said, we're afraid of him. We can't go near him, we might die. And Moses said, God's come down to draw you near, so you'll fear him. Wait wait, wait a minute. They're already afraid of him. It's the wrong fear. They're afraid of him. They're not in awe in reverence of him. The testing is God came down so that they would see who he is. That they would see his majesty, his power, his glory. Because God reveals himself in different forms depending on what response he's looking for from us. Because we respond to him, we react to him. We don't, he doesn't react to us. First John says, here in his love, not that you loved him, but he first loved you. Even our love for God is a response to his love for us. Everything starts with him. And so Moses got this issue that, you know, the testing was so that they would see who he really is. And when they saw who he really is, it would change how they acted in their life. The reason the church today, and I'm not talking about just this church, I'm talking about the the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially in this country, is so wishy-washy, so weak, 
Most of the churches are just like the world. And I know, I know there's different people, different exceptions. We look like the world, we dress like the world, we get tattooed like the world, we wear the things in our bodies like the world, we want to look like the world and yet have the blessings of being in the kingdom of God. And we struggle. I mean, when the divorce rate in the church is the same as the divorce rate in the world, our young sons have several friends who in their early 30s have already been married twice and one's on the third wife and they're raised in church. Been through a Christian school and a Christian college. Why? One of the reasons is exactly what God was establishing there. We have no awesome sense of who He is. What the Bible calls the fear of the Lord says it's the beginning of wisdom. An awesome reverence for who He is and yet our attitude towards God has become so casual because we understand we've been taught so thoroughly what our rights are in Christ. So thoroughly who we are in Christ and we need that foundation. But the danger of that is we become so conscious of who we are in Christ. And every time the Bible talks about who you are it always puts because you're in Him. And we forget the in him part and become focused on who we are. So, and we know we have been, God's paid for open access to him. We have the right to come into his presence anytime we want. But the result is we become so casual, we just come sauntering in, you know. I don't see it so much here, but I'm in churches where people come in. You don't know whether it's a church or it's a movie theater. We talked about that a little bit about Wednesday night. I know it was last week. I can't remember what it was. We talked about in, in, in Exodus 33 talked about, and God told Ezekiel that, you know, they're going to they love your messages. They talk about your messages out at home, and the, they talk about it at work. They come to your, and hear your meetings and hear you talk. It's the end of chapter 33 of, Exodus, of, of Ezekiel. He says, but they have no intention of changing. They have no intention of applying. Yeah, it was Wednesday night. Why? He says, they're just like people that go and hear a good concert. It's Christian entertainment. You know, church can be entertaining. It can make us feel better, make us feel encouraged. It's what we're getting out of it. I mean, don't you come out and we say, that was either a good movie or a bad movie. It's a good movie. I'm going to tell my friends that was a good movie. It's a a, clean movie. It's inspiring. Go tell people about it. But then it fades till the next good movie you see. When you have an encounter with God, when you have an encounter with who God is, when you have an encounter with the holiness of God, I'm telling you, if, if, if Jesus physically showed up right now, none of you would stay in your chairs. And I shouldn't, we stood standing. Examples in the Bible of when angels, just angels appeared. They fell on their face immediately because of the reverence and the holiness of the reality of that spiritual being. And the angels had to say, no, get up, I'm not God, I'm just a representative of His. We've lost that sense. And so as a result, our worship becomes casual. It may be a wonderful experience, but it's not an awareness of who it is we're worshiping. We sang about the power of God today. But the sense I had, and I'm in this with you, the sense I had is, is that we don't really know what that power is like. But you get a sense of who He is. They had a sense of what He was like on that mountain. 
One went closer, and the, other, the rest of them went away. So here's what he says. Here's what happens. Verse 19. You speak with us, and we'll listen to you, but don't let God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to you to test you that, may, that His fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood far off, but Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now, starting in verse 22 and through chapters 21, all the way through uh, uh, chapter 23, God hands down some rules for operating. Now we go to chapter 24. Now he said to Moses, come up. The Lord says to Moses, come up, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Notice they're coming up to worship. And Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and the judgments, and the people answered with one voice and said again, all that the Lord says to do, we will do. Now listen to me. They're sincere, I believe. They're saying, whatever God wants to do, we're going to do it. But you'll find on as you read the story, that was their intention, but they didn't do what God said to do. Why? Because that's why God wanted to reveal himself to them. So that they would not do it just out of blind obedience, because blind obedience will run out. Blind obedience, just your determination to do what's right. It may last you a day. It may last you if you're really strong or weak. But there's going to come a point where the pressure's too great, that you're tired, the memory of what God said is distant now, and you'll let go and just do whatever your flesh wants to do. It takes something more to hold us in. That's why God wanted to reveal himself. So here they are saying, yeah, we'll do whatever God wants. It was a wonderful service. We love God. Wasn't God's presence great there? I want to do whatever God wants to do. I'm going to go to the 99 tonight and I'm going to serve. And you get home and sitting in your chair and your belly's full. It's time to go, well, you know, maybe next week, you know. What happens is because we're doing that out of our good intentions just like Peter did. Peter had all kinds of good intentions. I'll die with you! And Jesus, of course, knowing him, smiled and said, Peter... Before the evening's out, you're going to find out where you really are. Because you're going to find out you couldn't even admit who I am to somebody that can't hurt you. Three times you're going to deny me. Peter never believed he'd do that. But Jesus knew where he was. But notice Jesus had prayed him through it. So that when you come out the other side, I pray that you'll come out and your faith will remain and then go and encourage the others. Understand that whatever you're going through right now, in this process, Jesus is praying for you so that you'll come through it. So that they wouldn't sin, so they wouldn't turn back. They had the best of intentions, but they couldn't follow through. Why? Because they were trying to do it in their own strength. Okay. Okay. Let's go down to um, verse 9. So Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seven to the elders of Israel. 
and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, paved of sapphire and stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. So they're seeing God's presence now. They're not seeing his face, but they're seeing his presence. But on the nobles of the elder of the children of Israel, he did not lay his... Whoops, I got too far here. That's right. Okay. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hands so that they saw God and they ate and drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain. So they were further down the mountain. He calls Moses up to to the top. Come up to me on the mountain and be there and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I've written that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up on the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. And indeed Aaron and Ur are with you. If any man has difficulty, let them go to them. And Moses went up on the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain. And now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Moses is up there six days and nothing's happening. We're in such a hurry sometimes. We're in such a hurry. Well, I didn't hear God, so let me go and do something else. Moses sat in the cloud for six days and nothing happened. And on the seventh day, God spoke to him. And he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. What God gives Moses on the mountain, starting in chapter 25, all the way through chapter 31, God gives Moses instructions for how to build and initiate a thing called the tabernacle in the wilderness, including robes for the priests and how to consecrate them and prepare them. We'll talk more about this tabernacle as we go on, but this tabernacle was essentially a tent with an open courtyard. And the purpose of it was that so God could dwell in the middle of the camp of the people. Remember back in Genesis 1 and 2, God didn't need a tent. He didn't need anything. He could just walk with his man and woman. They could walk with him. Why? Because there was no sin. But the moment they rebelled against God, the moment they did what he told them not to do, sin entered, and that sin, see, we have trouble understanding this, created an incredible gulf between God and his man now. Because you and I don't know what holy, pure holiness is. Pure holiness is the absence of any trace of sin at all. Spirit, soul, and body. No evil thoughts, no possibility of an evil thought. And on your best day and my best day that we've ever had, wherever it was, it falls infinitely short of the beginning of pure holiness. That's why we have Jesus. That's why we're in Him. He makes up the difference. It's His righteousness He's given us. When you came to Christ and got saved, it, what happened was not that God cleaned you up enough so that He could receive you in heaven. What happened was that old person died with Christ. And a new person was born inside of you. That's what it means to be born again. 
And God began the process. But what he did with you then is he joined you to Christ. And because you were now joined to Christ, he could give you Christ righteousness. So the reason we can come into the presence of God like that first man did and that first woman did in Genesis 1 and 2 is because we wear the righteousness of one who never sinned. That's why you and I can come in and no other basis. But we forget that. We think we can come in and have a right to come in. See, you don't have a right to worship. unless he gives it to us. We can't come and worship him on our terms. That means when I want to show up, do it on my time. See, we're, we have freedom because we're children of God, but children also have responsibilities. So the access we have to him in prayer, in worship, is because he's given us his righteousness. He's given us his righteousness. But just because we have his righteousness doesn't mean we're living that way yet. And so he draws us to himself. We're going to need to end here. And we'll pick up here next time because this is a process. We're walking through this journey that God's taking Israel. So you may at this point be saying, yeah, what's this all about? Just walk it out. Just walk it out with me. One last thing before we change the order of service. When we began this several weeks ago, uh, I shared with you that it's not just a teaching, it's not just a... But God is, wants to bring us somewhere as a church. And it's not that where we've been have been bad or wrong. It's, it's, it, sometimes what's been good gets in the way of what's better. There's times to change certain things and to go in a different direction. As I talked earlier, that Israel had trouble because they tried to hold on to what they were familiar with and used to, but that's what kept them from going to where God was calling them. It wasn't, God was working them. He's the one that brought them into the promised land to learn some things, into the wilderness, but they needed to be willing to let go of that in order to go into where God was calling him. And I shared with you at the time, several weeks ago, what that meant is there was, there was a place of worship that I believe God is calling us to that he's begun to show me. I, by any means, don't see it all. The interesting thing is he's confirmed it to me from several other sources when Brother Christopher Alam was here after I had shared this with him, I was sharing some of this. He said, there's a church in England that did this, what you're talking about doing. He said, and it's, it was a complete start over. He said, and at first it was difficult. He, he said, but it's the one place I've ever been where I felt the purest worship. And the church exploded. And that's not why we're doing this. The church exploded. The motive here is we want to do whatever it takes to please God. That's what this is about. This isn't about what I want, what you want, what I like, what you like, my style, your style. There's something God's calling us to, and the motive has got to be that we're going to be pleasing to Him. We're going to be pleasing to Him. So he said that what that meant was we're going to have to be willing to let go of the way we've done things in the past. And here's why. Because as I share with you this morning, true worship has got to come out of our heart. True worshipers are worshiping out of our heart. 
And there are times that what we've had to assist us in that can begin to get in the way of it coming out of our heart. We become dependent on things that were there originally to help us, and now we become dependent on that. People can get been given a prescription to help them with a situation in their body, and because it's helping them to sleep or something, now instead of just helping them to sleep, they become dependent on it, and it's not helping them anymore. It's now holding things back. I said that before, and I'm reminding you again by way of telling you that you're going to begin to see changes in the way what you see up here, changes in the way we worship. We may even come to the point where we don't have anything up there, and it's just you and me. Because here, in order to bring it out of our hearts, sometimes we have to get rid of everything else and bring it out of our hearts. Now, before you look at me and say, that can't happen, I can give you lists of churches that have done that and has succeeded. If we can't worship God without the music, then what's the music bringing? Because worship has to come out of our heart. You're going to have to trust me on this. We'll take this step by step. And I say that also to say that because when we're, going to, when, when we're making a, a major change in direction, we have to make changes in a way that, that kind of get it across to us. So what that's involved also is I'm making changes not just in what you'll see up here, and it's not going to happen necessarily instantly, but I'm also making change, I've made some changes in the leadership of it. A number of years ago, and I can't remember, it was almost eight years ago or so, Pastor David, who was a senior pastor at the time, uh, asked Pastor Joseph and Jennifer to take over the leadership of the music ministry. And they did that. They put a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of their heart in, into that and had built what we had here. Well, God began to deal with me a while ago as we needed to change that. Not that it was right or wrong, but we needed to go in a different direction so that we could come back to, to what he's calling us to. And so what we've done is I've made a change in that leadership. I thank them for all that they've done. Again, they've done a tremendous job. They've put a lot of time and effort into it. But I've turned it right now over to Pastor Ray because we may have a time when it's just Pastor Ray and me. It's maybe just you and me. I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to follow God. It may be awkward at first. All right, because some of you are looking at me like, what's going on here? We're following what God wants us to do, I believe, with all my heart. So it may be awkward at first, but we'll just, just trust it. We'll see what the Spirit of God begins to do. But once you begin to taste what He can do and what comes out of you, see, that's what it is. It's in you. It's in you. It's in your heart right now. And so many of you, it's in you. You just don't know it's in you because all these other things have been helping us and pulling us along. And then we can begin to add things back in there once it begins to come out, out of our hearts. So we'll walk this out together. We'll get, you know, God's directing us, and we'll walk this out together. But that's why we're beginning to lay a foundation. Let's pray. Father, as we enter into this journey with you, we just trust you. We trust that you're guiding us, that you're leading us. We trust that if we make mistakes, that you'll correct us and bring us back because we're trying as best we know to do what's pleasing in your sight and what's pleasing to you. Help us by your Spirit to lift our eyes up of where we've been, lift up our eyes off of what's been good, what's been right, what's been wrong, whatever the situation's been off the past, and begin to set our eyes just on you. Help to bring us to the place where the desire of our hearts here is to come together when we gather to be with you and to please you 
And I trust, Father, as that becomes our motive, that you will begin to speak and to direct and to move us in that direction. And we trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.